It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb, Eric, and Sean. Listen in as they discuss the 1994 film Serial Mom. Serial Mom, here we are finally, coming for our third round with uh, John Waters. So I'm curious, I guess I should go to you, Sean, and I was going to go right to Eric, because I'm so curious to see what he's going to think, but but for you, Sean, I think you have the most experience with this movie, so, so what do you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I love this movie. I've seen it repeatedly. I've owned it on VHS, on DVD, and now I own it on Blu-ray. Um, I know it almost by heart, and for me, this is the quintessential John Waters. A lot of people would say, oh, it's got to be Pink Flamingos or maybe Female Trouble. And I think that's because Divine's in it. But you know what? I think that uh, something like Pink Flamingos is a great companion piece, double feature with Serial Mom. Because when you think about it, Divine, uh, Pink Flamingos is just, you know, two groups of, you know, 'er ne'er-do-wells duking it out outside of society in the suburbs of Baltimore or in the Forest Preserve at Baltimore. But Serial Mom, somebody, it's almost as if uh, they took Divine from out of Pink Flamingos, dialed her up, and gave her a family, and she had to act normal in society. But obviously <laughs> she couldn't, and she really just wanted to go off and kill people who pissed her off. So it's almost like Divine grew an ego, if I can use a term from Freud. Uh, Divine <laughs> is the id, and Kathleen Turner is the ego of the same person. Um, and, you know, the movie has its faults. There are some uh, parts that fall flat, but really what you have here, Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Turner is absolutely fantastic. It's probably one of her best roles. She really does a good job of skating that thin line between comedy and uh, drama. Um, it's almost as if, yeah, I'm just going to, I have a lot to say, but I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Eric. I don't want to say it all now. I don't want to hijack the podcast. Sure. <laughs> Well, I only have like five minutes in total of things to say uh, for the whole entire... Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go again. Only <laughs> have five minutes in total of things to say? Maybe third time's not the charm. On this movie? Oh. <laughs> Do you, should I start with the, the better or the worse? Initial thoughts. Whatever you got. Lay it on the table for us. Again, I only have initial thoughts. But, uh... Okay. Well... This movie reminds me, in a way, of my relationship with some other movies I've seen in recent years, which were movies that everybody talks about because they saw at a certain time, and it's become a thing, whatever that movie is. You know, I guess I'm basically describing like how something becomes like a cult classic or something. Uh, and I haven't seen it yet, 
and then finally I come around and give it a chance. And uh, a recent example that happened, well, even though it was a few years ago, for me was Hocus Pocus. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people grew up with that movie, and everyone's telling me it's like one of those definitive Halloween time movies. And I watched it for the first time two or three years ago, and I gave it, I gave it my all, and and I was like, okay, got it. So my reaction to this was similar to my reaction to that three years ago, which was I think it has a lot to do with seeing it at the right time. Not necessarily when it released, but maybe the right time of your life. And it just you caught it the right moment. It it like struck the right chords, and then you watched it multiple times, and then it became a thing for you. And I think because I have none of that, I just saw it and went, okay. And just like with Hocus Pocus, I get why there's a generation out there who's like I I'm not confused by it. It makes sense to me. I understand because I have my own things like that that I caught at the right time in my life or whatever. But I didn't catch this at the right time. And so I have no nostalgia for it or no connection other than my recent exposure to Waters. Um, And so I don't think... It's not the greatest for me. It's not the greatest. And um, on the flip side, some other thoughts are... It very much reminds me of certain indie quirky movies of the nineties. This this is like I could imagine seeing this at another time. And it and I, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't even know very much who John Waters is or, or what he's known for. So if I just saw this back in the day or ten years ago, I would think, Oh, this is just oh yeah, this is such a nineties movie. This is such a, a quirky, uh independent nineties movie. And I don't know who started that trend. I don't know if it was Tim Burton with the aesthetic of Edward Scissorhands, but there were so many movies in the 90s, um, I would say culminating with Crazy World, that everyone kind of dressed like this B-52 type 90s, like this this weird 40s through 60s fashion through a 90s lens, and, and there was just like so many movies in the 90s that were like that. And this fits in right in that group, so I could see this movie being in a box set of 90s movies and, and fitting very well in that. Um, and maybe I'd even appreciate it more if it was in that kind of set and, and I like the set overall. But just, I, I mean, that's the most positive, that's some of the most positive things I can say about it. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, to say, I, I feel like whatever mode this in started with Heathers. At least it makes me think of Heathers a lot. Oh, yeah, Heathers. That's another one that came to my mind. You're right. You're right. And I was like 88, 87, I think, something like that. But, well, wow, yeah. No. Well, for me, I'll just say this was one of the later John Waters films that I saw. I probably saw this maybe like five, six years ago for the first time. And I didn't return to it until uh, we did um, Pink Flamingos. I watched this one shortly before that. So I didn't have the same nostalgia that I'm, I'm sure Sean does, having probably like decades of experience with it. And I wouldn't hold this in the same regard. I, I prefer kind of the more crazy John Waters stuff. But I still think this is extremely funny. It has a lot of really great highlights. It just maybe doesn't exactly hold its runtime. I think the last 20 minutes or so start to yeah. lose me a little bit. Yeah. But. Um, yeah. I, I could actually count maybe in one hand the scenes that just don't fucking work at all. 
and I'm looking at you. What's the name of the kid that was into all the boobs in the in the, the old time? Oh, uh, Scotty, played by uh, Scotty. I'm looking at you, Scotty. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> I think it's Justin Whalen. Yeah, who feels like a character or a person that didn't exist outside the '90s. I think his career ended with uh, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> oh yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I, I got to tell you, I think there's a reason why when I saw this, it really rang a bell for me um, is because uh, when my parents bought a video recorder, we we had the little, uh, well, not Super 8, but it, like eight inch little cassettes. And I just took that thing and ran hog wild with it. I mean, I, I used that more often. I mean, uh, I had friends that they were like, hey, Sean, can we come over to your house this weekend and make a movie? And I'd be like, okay, yeah. And, you know, I made movies with my cousins, and a lot of them are gone now. Um, there was this group called Two Live Jews. They were a, a sort of a, a parody of Two Live Crew. And they did a song called, Oi, It's So Humid. Oi, It's So Humid, off of Two Live Crew's, Oi, I'm So Horny. Ooh, I'm So Horny. So we did a music video out of that, which is absolutely fucking gold. Um, but one of the things, I had one friend who's, we would always make fun of our grandparents, like left and right, like just funny things that old people do. And she would dress up in like a wig and, you know, like my mom's dress and she'd play an old lady. She was essentially playing her grandma. And I just thought that old white ladies were the funniest thing ever. Like just the way they acted. I mean, just knowing my, you know, my own grandma and the way that she was, um, because she was very housewife-ish. Everything had to be in its place and nice and neat. And you see these characters in there. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Dottie Hinkle, of course, played by Mink Stoll that we've seen before, Eric. We saw her in both uh, Pink Flamingos and um, Multiple Maniacs. She's, I, well, because she's the only, she? Uh, she, in, in Pink Flamingo, she was the, um, she was in the rival house with David Lockery. There are only two types of people in this world, my type of people and assholes. She had the, what color hair did she have? Was, no, who was she in this movie? She played um, the lady that she was <laughs> the lady that she would do the 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 obscene phone calls to. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I recognize her now. Yeah, she looks way different. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I no, I recognize her now that you point her out to me. <laughs> Hello, is this four two two pussy way? <laughs> is she the only holdover? Uh, the old uh, Joe Mother's cast? Uh, Pat Moran, um, I think, was one of the producers. And I know that she was in or participated in some of the old movies. Um, they're both with, with us today. Everybody else died of drug overdoses or AIDS. Damn. Um, oh, and I guess Ricky Lake, I guess, kind of counts. She, she's been around for a while at this point. Yeah, she was in Hairspray, right? Yeah, and Crybaby. And that was before this. Yeah, she was in Crybaby? Um, yeah. I forget about Crybaby. And she showed up in um, she showed up in that other one I watched recently. Um, Cecil B. Demented. Oh wow! I've never seen that. I've never seen that. Yeah, it's not great, but it's so funny because when she had her very, very, very popular at the time talk show in the '90s, late '90s, I had no idea she was an actress before that. I, I never would have thought so. Yeah, I never knew for but... years after the '90s. Yeah, I know John Waters had no, uh, he was not happy about her work on that show. 
Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, he came out and said that he was like, oh, it's so vulgar and it's just like insulting to middle America kind of thing. And yeah, he, he didn't like that. Huh. See her do that. <laughs> well, that's interesting that he says that about middle America because I think that this is a comedy about middle America. I mean, this is this movie yeah. is just about like white people and the shit that they do. You know, I collect Franklin Mitt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who collects Franklin Mitt except for, a, you know, an elderly middle aged to elderly white woman? <laughs> Living alone, you know, are, are those pussy willow styling? Yeah, that's how I describe that lady to middle aged and elderly. Yeah, like, you know, how, is she 50? Is she 70? I don't know. Um, and everybody in the movie is just basically a joke of themselves. I mean, we've got the annoying couple um, that are the, the patients of her husband. They're, they totally had it coming. Uh, I, I love their death scene, by the way. That's some <laughs> just fantastic stuff. Yeah. She's on the way to kill someone else and just gets distracted. Like, oh, there's these people. Oh, and they're eating chicken. Oh, fuck. I love birds and chickens are birds. So. Man, I, I've never seen anybody eat a chicken like that in a movie. It's so gross. It's so gross. Yeah, it's horrific. Yeah. You want to see that? I love the way that they like filter in the flashbacks, too. That's just... <laughs> She's thinking of the birds. If I could go back to some of the things... That were said already I, that I wanted to react to, but lost my chance. Sean's opening statement about this being like a a refinement of pink flamingos and all that. But I completely saw that. I completely agree with all that Sean said, and and I did appreciate that. And you see that with a lot of filmmakers. You know, if you watch their their works over decades, that you see it's like they're it's like they've been working on this thing, this motif, or this trope, and they keep trying and trying until all of a sudden. Like it comes together a better, more, more cohesive way. I think Hitchcock did that with a bunch of his different projects. But there's numerous examples all over the place. So I do agree with that. And then I do like the part, or the thing that Sean raised about um, the older ladies in, in this movie. Because it's something I've been thinking about independent of this movie for a while now. It's just... It's because I'm always thinking about movies in terms of what decade they, they were produced in. And I'm always thinking about those actors who are in their prime, uh, in like the golden age of Hollywood. And then I'm always thinking about how those people, how how they continued to work in the business in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, um, and the 90s. And how, because they're from the golden age, you know, they had all those Hollywood traditions of um, smoking and drinking and dressing up and being glamorous. And, and that generation in general, and I, my understanding is, like, in, in real life, outside of movies, that people tried to emulate, you know, what they saw in movies in the Golden Age. And people of that generation, they took that to their graves. Uh, and I, and in the 90s, that was that was obviously their, their golden twilight years. So I think of, so when I think, when I see anything in the 90s in general, and you see the older people, I'm like, this is the generation of the Golden Age, and this is them. It's the last of the original tradition. And there was even more. There's another filmmaker who does it even more, and that's David Lynch. Um, it, it's here and there throughout his films, especially like Mulholland Drive. There's the landlady who is an old actress, and she's at, she actually is a really famous actress. Um, but this thing with old people, because old people, I'm sorry, old people can be really funny. I mean, not when they're dying or anything like that, you know. But uh, just sort of in general, I mean, look at uh, something like um, Little Miss Sunshine. There's an old guy in that. He's hilarious. 
He's great for an old guy. If he was 25 years old, he would have been a scalawag, you know? Uh, but it's funny. Yeah, she's right about He's that. showing the little girl how to do these moves. He doesn't know any better. He thinks that's how girls should dance, you know? Um, uh, the portrayal of uh, – there's another uh, old person in this. Uh, I just love Bill Cosby pictures, which is a joke. At a completely different level nowadays, you know. Yes. I mean, Bill Cosby back then, no, he everybody knew he wasn't making good movies. There's like Leonard Part Six, Ghost Dad, and I don't know what. Yeah. Just I love Bill Cosby pictures, lady. There's like three of them. Like, what else are you gonna watch? And she's singing along to Annie. Oh, that's kind of cute. Lick my feet, get them all wet. Yeah, she was getting way into that. I was like, oh no, some some weird's happening. And it's here. just the look on her face after Kathleen actually, Turner hits her over the head with the roast. You know. <laughs> yeah. That was actually very touching. I mean that whole thing. I touching. I the, whole idea. The, the whole thing, not just that part, but even the lead up, because I miss the days of the rental store, especially the small rental store. But the idea is No, but the idea that You'd be like, first of all, hoping do they do they have this thing that I want, and then if they do, you got excited and you like. It seems crazy now to spend. I know it's only like three bucks, but that's probably like seven fifty in twenty twenty two money, and people would probably think it's crazy to actually physically go out get something for seven fifty, and you only get to watch that one thing, and then you gotta like come back and it's like people be like, hell no, you know, like that's way too much trouble. But because you put in the time to search and you and you gave the, the money to rent it, you're all in. Like, you're going to watch that thing. Well, usually until you got to my older years when I would – I felt most disgusting in my life when I would rent stuff and not watch it and return it. Oh, that was – I felt like that was yeah. disgusting in my life. Oh, man. Yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> but, that was, but this is in the early days of renting, not the later days. And you were going to watch that thing. You were committed and you were happy when it was like – Oh, is that that movie I used to like when I was a kid? You know, oh, they they got it, and you'd just be delighted. And so I kind of miss that. Okay, well, all right, I got that feeling watching that documentary about the last blockbuster. I can't remember what it was called. It may have been the last blockbuster on uh, on Netflix. I, think so. I didn't get that from watching this because it wasn't about renting a movie. It was about how rude this woman was to the clerks <laughs> after they tell her, you know, the reminder reminder to rewind the tapes, and she's so nasty and rude about it, you know. But it's funny because she's like this old lady who is just so full of herself. You know, the people in this movie, I've said it again, I'll say it again, are not good people. I mean, uh, uh, you know, on the outside, they're good people, but they're just going through the moves to make themselves look like. No, but how do you think Dean Martin or or Frank Sinatra in their elder years would feel if they were like dropping off a tape and someone's like, oh, hey, old man, you got to rewind this. And they'd be like, what the fuck? Like, what happened to the service industry of the 1950s where you just go along with it, young guy? Hey, she's just some old lady. She's not the. Uh, she's not. She's not Dean Martin or Frank Sinatra. I'll give you that, but she's at that time. Well, it is basically a whatever boomer moment in that conversation in the video store. You know, I just I don't know who I'm going to be when I'm the crotchety old guy in real life. I don't know what kinds of conversations I'm going to end up having, <laughs> like with uh, public servants and. And people in the service industry when I get to that age, but I don't know. We'll see. So, what did you? Hopefully, not as as rude, but but go ahead, John. Yeah. yeah. What did you guys think of like the third act, if you will, uh, the trial? Uh, because this is 
I just got to preface that with something else. Well, if I, I'm saying it afterwards, so it's not prefacing it, but I'll preface it with saying John Waters was really into like celebrity trials. Uh, I think in mm-hmm. our lifetime, there's probably only been one, and that's O.J. Simpson. Um, but back in the day, only one. You know, here's something funnier. Yeah, I don't know about that one, but <laughs> O.J. Simpson. No, but the, the saying that there's only been one. Yeah, R. Kelly. I remember R. Kelly being a huge one, but. But I guess R. Kelly wasn't a murder, but yeah, I don't, I don't, you know. Now I'll admit, uh, OJ was musty TV. Bill Cosby. Uh, yeah, because because one, one, I'll say one memory I have about OJ and the trial um, was that it started. The trial started in my freshman or sophomore year of high school, and it didn't conclude until my junior or senior year. So it was like this weird thing that was happening my whole high school years. And to the point that when they were announcing the final verdict, I remember like class stopped in the whole school, and then like everyone was turning on the TVs in the school. Yep. Because you know it's like it's like we had lived through this for like almost three years. Yeah. And so I will. It was like it was event TV. Wow. I will admit that is fucking weird. It seems almost irresponsible to teachers. <laughs> I I was in college and I remember the teachers saying, "Okay, my wife's going to page me. One if he's guilty, zero if he's not guilty." And he got it while we were in class. So we were all like, ah, but you know, that was a big thing. Uh, anyway, one of the trials that John Waters was really into was the Patty Hearst trial, which of course she was the heiress of, you know, the Hearst publishing business. And she was uh, kidnapped by a bunch of uh, kind of terrorists. And she ended up suffering from the Stockholm syndrome. And eventually I think she was found not guilty if memory serves as before my time. But Patty Hearst is in this movie. She plays the juror wearing the white shoes that she kills in the final moment. Oh, oh boy. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he used her in a couple of other movies after this as well. So uh, Patty Hearst and John Waters got to be pretty good friends. But yeah, she's the one. Oh, fashion has changed. It's okay to wear white shoes after Labor Day. Um, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Beat your death with a fucking uh, payphone. It's so interesting. That was Patty Hearst. <laughs> But yeah, so, that is interesting. Wow. Was I with one of you guys? I don't remember. And I was like looking up all these traditions about like the white shoes and and all that stuff. I could have sworn I was doing that in between recording something with one of you guys. Yeah. Okay. Because that came back to me that it, that it came up in the movie. And I was like, holy shit! I can't believe. Uh... Oh, it was something about wearing white in general. I can't remember what movie we were watching. And and like you're not supposed to wear. You're supposed to put away your white clothes. After Labor Day or something. Oh. That's what it was. That's what it was. Oh, but I was also going to say, uh, just because we were talking about OJ, I just saw OJ in a movie last night. He was in another disaster movie, The Cassandra Crossing. Oh, wow. He shows up in that. He was all over the place in those disaster movies in the 70s. He was in many disaster movies. Uh, uh, yeah. I haven't even heard of The Cassandra Place, but I know he's in some others besides that. Tarling Inferno. Yeah, it was an Italian one. But it still had the same thing where they would bring in a whole bunch of actors like Martin Sheen's in there and you know, a whole bunch of people. Or played Dumbledore. can't remember. But, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I was going to say uh, just as a little joke to you, Sean, about the whole courtroom sequence. Uh, just as you as a lawyer, you know, to pull out the old Steve's uh, joke. Was this very accurate to uh, the, the court? Uh, <laughs> no. No. Uh, <laughs> let me think. No. Uh, usually, if as a defendant, uh, you know, I don't practice, practice criminal law, but you know, you never represent yes. yourself. <laughs> you are just going to lose it. 
um, because I've gone up against defendants who represent themselves, and it never has gone well for them uh, because they don't. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they don't. They only know how a courtroom works from you know television, so it usually ends up being kind of a mess. Um, what was really great about the courtroom, I think, probably. Oh, I probably. Oh, I like the court. Uh, the when she puts Mink Stoll on the on the stand, and Mink Stoll just loses it and starts swearing at her. It's so great. It's so funny. She just loses. And uh, the part, the guy that was in the bathroom and she's moving her legs underneath the table and he's getting all excited, which is really disgusting when you think about it. But there's little touches to this that I really, really find funny. For instance, after she kills, uh, what's her name? Tracy Lord's boyfriend or the daughter's ex-boyfriend in the men's bathroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, she's got that liver or whatever at the end of the poker. She leaves the bathroom and this guy walks in and he's eating a shish kebab. He brought it in the bathroom with him. <laughs> and he starts yelling. Rah! And it's like the added thing is just this, you know, schlubby guy walking in the men's bathroom while he eats a shish, shish kebab. Because, you know, it's not going to end well for this guy, even if he doesn't find it. Where is he going to put the shish kebab? Well, he does his business. Yeah, what? Is he going to leave it on the sink? Yeah, thing? you can't do That's not going to end well. It's, you know. It's funny. He didn't even look schlubby to me. I thought he looked like a wrestler or something. He had, like, the, the big arm muscles when he started doing his yell. I was like, what the fuck yeah. is this guy? I thought it was a cameo or something. And, uh, uh, you know, um, I'm thinking again of that that uh, that scene. Tracy Lords just basically is Tracy Lords. He, she just has her do Tracy Lords. Um, I think this was after she was in porn. And she was in a small handful of yes, movies. I know she definitely post porn. Yeah, she was in uh, Stephen King's The Tommy Knockers, she where she had laser lipstick. Do you remember that? Oh wow, I don't remember her in it, but I've yeah I've yeah. seen that movie. Oh boy, a TV movie, I guess. I didn't. Uh, she tried to have an acting, a serious acting career. I don't know whatever happened to her. But um, I did not see Tommy Knockers, but going back to rental places back in the day. I would always look for anything that was Tracy Lords. Uh, that was like one of those types of things that would be on my search list any given day. Hmm. Well, I just pulled my DVD of Tommy Knockers off the shelf. I forgot that Jimmy Smith was in this. Oh, yeah. I don't see her name, but wow, Jimmy Smith. Yes. I haven't seen that in so long. <laughs> I think I owned it on, uh, owned it on VHS, and like there was something wrong with the VHS. Like It was recorded in like SLP format because it, it's like a four-hour miniseries, but... <laughs> they, they put it on an SLP. So it was produced on SLP? Yeah, they put it on. Yeah. That's, I always thought that was funny whenever that happened. Do you have any idea what he's talking about, Caleb? No, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so when we all had VHS players and you would, you know, record your own stuff, you always had um, three selections on speed, uh, tape speed, and SP was the standard, and then LP was long play, and then. It was called EP or SLP for extended play or super long play, but they were both the same thing, just different names. And so a standard cassette tape or VHS cassette tape could hold two hours of content in SP mode. LP was four hours. SLP was six hours. And it was just by controlling the speed of the tape. So most things that you purchased that were actually, you know, from a store like produced uh, from the straight from the studio Almost exclusively everything was in SP, which is why like The Godfather would be on two or three cassettes because there's because there's only two hours max 
capacity in SP mode. But every once in a while, you'd buy something like what Sean was just saying, and and, and they just produced it in SLP, and that was like a weird novelty. Um, because, of course, the picture and sound would not be nearly as good. Like, it, you know... VHS is already bad as it is, but imagine like reducing the quality. It's okay in nowadays. So SP was like your 1080p, and then LP was like your 720, and then SLP was like your 480. So people nowadays can understand. It was it was like yeah, it was it was poor, but you could just fit so much. Is that like a is that like an 80s thing? Because I don't remember seeing that on any of my uh, tape players. Um, no, it's built in to all, even the modern ones, it'll just do it automatically, uh, now, uh, on the newer players, but no, it's a standard thing. Yeah, I'm looking at my old, uh, my Panasonic VHS player and I don't see any modes on it for that. So interesting. Um, it's in the settings, I guarantee you on the, it's in the digital settings. Yeah. Oh, but just cause, uh, just showed up on screen. Eric, did you notice the Godzilla figure in this movie? Yes, I did. Of course I did. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, I was like, Hey, there we go. I was trying to see which uh, model it was, but I couldn't tell. But <laughs> mm, there's not the only darky thing we see. I'm pretty sure when the Bill Cosby lady walks into the video store and she looks up, and they're playing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you look to the left of the uh, your left as you're looking at the screen, I think those are Doctor Who videotapes that are. What? Oh, did not notice that. Oh man, I gotta skip to there right now. I'm so curious. <laughs> I noticed a copy of Zombie 2 in there. Mm, yeah. I was like, hey, there you go. Some Fulci uh, representation. And there was a... Yeah. And this, I found myself looking up the names of the movies that were on the the, the VHS shelves. There's one called Manjo. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to look that up. Turns out it's a documentary about this actor who grew up as a uh, uh, televangelist preacher. And he ended up being in the movie Star Crash. Remember that, Eric? Oh, boy. More Italian films. I wonder who he played in Star Crash. I think he was the main guy. Oh, like their little Luke Skywalker wannabe guy? <laughs> wait, the, he, yeah. wait, the hero? Yeah. The guy who was the greatest American hero? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. He wasn't oh, in Star no. Crash. Yeah, he wasn't in there. Oh, he wasn't? William Cat. Am I all screwed up? I have to look up Star Crash again. He looks like him. He's got the same haircut. Oh, no, no. He's not greatest American hero. He just looks like him. He's in that movie, um, the one from Star Crash, the one that Sean's talking about. He's in that movie, uh, The Sword and the Sorcerer, which is coming out on 4K any day now. Oh, the Star Crash guy, not William Cat. He's the bad guy in The Sword and the Sorcerer. Oh, interesting. Oh, for you, uh, Sean, again. Uh, what would you think of uh, Detec- Detective Pike there? Were you, because uh, I know all the, the people who see him in this like tend to swoon pretty quick, but I don't know if I saw the attraction the same way they did. No, I did not see the attraction. He looks like a sh- he, he looks like somebody that would play, like, the detective in a 90s Columbo that Columbo would, like, work with. Um, specifically the one from Rest in Peace, Mrs. Columbo. Oh, jeez. I don't remember I don't remember a guy in there like that, but I remember that being a pretty weak, weak episode. but Or special, I should say. Wow. Oh, but speaking of uh, one of your previous podcasts, did you see or um, did you make the connection with that... Uh, was it Miss Ackerman? She was in one of your uh, Murder Shirt ones you covered recently. Really? Wait, which one was she? Was she the one that was like, I collect Franklin Mint? Yep. Oh, she was. She, yeah, she was in the one with the plane. I can't remember. She was in, yeah, she was the one with the dog in the corpse flew first class. That's it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know I've seen her relatively recently. Where have I seen this lady? 
because she looks so distinct it's hard not to uh remember her but <laughs> and I, I can't remember if i mentioned it but if i said serial mom steve would be like what what's that what uh, steve you've got to see more <laughs> movies but whatever yeah it's too bad shit we watch is gone it's a good excuse to uh show him some stuff but yeah yeah oh but i was, I was also gonna say uh i don't know if we mentioned that this made 94 my uh my birth date there 94 but oh but boy, was fashion looking bad in 94. Just the hair, <laughs> like, everyone's clothes looked so bland and so many tucked in shirts and just like these terrible looking jeans. I was like, ooh, everything looks so ugly. I don't, I don't think it was a particularly bad time. No. I, I mean, I've always thought the 90s was pretty bad time for fashion, but early 90s. Um, I could I think see it's confusing of- for people who were conscious in the 90s. Um,. Yeah, Matthew Lillard looks, uh, his outfits are really dated, but um, that was the oh, thing yeah. back then, you know what I mean? Um, I think maybe, I see it in the suits, like in the courtroom, you can tell that, you know, that was like the thing, to wear suits like that. My dad still wears a suit like that. He wore it to a funeral, I'm like, Ma, you gotta get him a new suit. Why? What's wrong with that one? It looks like it's from 1993, mother, which it is! Get him a new suit. Yeah, I should have been there telling Donald Trump the same thing. No, yes, what I wear. Is, okay, so things that are in the movie. I mean, fashion in the movie does a lot of it transfer to now. Like, oh, I would adopt that now. No, hell no. But in the context of the movie and the time that it was made, it, I didn't find these fashions. I don't know particularly offensive. I don't know, but maybe maybe I'm too biased. Well, it's not even that they. It's not even that they stand out as particularly offensive. They're just so drab. Like, there's no pop to any of it it's just like you're wearing like your pajamas always well that was the thing though because the 80s was more about pop i mean like things popping visually uh and so the 90s was like the response with nirvana and everything and the culture was just like uh let's let's mute things down a bit yeah so that was kind of like the phase until you got to britney spears and then it was then everything shifted back to the let's make things visually pop again and like, let's not wear clothes that fit us properly. Everything looks so like, like all these belts you see everywhere because everyone has their shirts tucked in. I was like, ooh, it just looks so just. That bad. was. I'm looking at. Um, That's how we did. I'm looking at Tracy Lord's boyfriend right now, and that was my favorite. Oh him, yeah. But what he's wearing in the in the at the swap meet, that is right out of high school for me. That was like the best kind of standard guy outfit in my high school years. And you better believe I dress like that, and so did everybody else. Exactly, the belt, yep. the jeans, the shirt—it's—it's it's vintage. The hair, perfect. The hair—I had that hair, that Leonardo DiCaprio oh. hair from Titanic. I had that hair. What about the Justin Whalen hair? <laughs> well, you know what? Oof. I remember when I wanted to get my hair cut like that, and my parents and my grandparents were like, "No, you don't want your hair like that. That's what dorks wear." I'm like, "Yeah, but you know." Oh. No, no, I like it. I like having my bangs hang down in front of my eyes. I love it. I, you know, I still do. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like Justin Whalen's hair too, even though I didn't like Justin Whalen in this movie. I think Kayla, we were like in our primes of youth at this time, and mm. I, I think we we're like it's hard because I, I can't. I'm like everything looks fine. Everything looks normal. <laughs> like I, I get that because in my lifetime too. You know, because because I came of age in the '90s, we used to make so much fun of '80s styles and '70s styles at the time, and you know, 
and then and then when things went into the 2000s it was there was a, a little bit of a feeling as why is everything getting a little bit gaudy again um so maybe like, we're just yes. at the wrong age to critique the 90s and it is funny because i was gonna say uh i remember being a little kid and thinking like why do all the adults dress so badly like look at the clothes i wear as a kid and everyone else dressed so terribly but even in, into the 2000s i thought everyone dressed dressed terribly too so you know it's style's a weird thing i don't get style to me it's it's these fashions are not particularly good or bad they're just kind of standard but sometimes i'm okay with standard but it means because i'm old and getting all the like because i have an aversion when people i when i feel like people are trying hard to fit in i like the hey i'm just wearing standard clothes the whole steve jobs thing just just wear something that works and go with it yeah you know what uh 20 years from now we're gonna be like what were they thinking of in 2022 wearing that uh i don't know oh now it's 90s are back Uh, my my younger sisters who are in their their late teens they dress like it's like 1998 (laughs) and it's like oof god no no what the what what, what's been going on for the last five years or so it's not just the 90s are back it's like everything's back at the same time you'll see someone wearing something from the 80s now you'll see something from the 90s and and so it's just like for the last five plus years it's been do whatever you want i'm not down with that cause either necessarily i know i've now sound like i'm I'm shitting on my own argument um (laughs) but i kind of liked when there was some uniformity in a particular decade right now it's freestyle like I mean, do whatever you want and that's funny because that's i was just saying i want to do what i want but um but i do miss a little bit of uniformity a little bit a little bit <laughs> what was that about the conservative talking points before bring it back to the old school and everything was the same that's how we like it uh-huh. but again I, that's my age talking i think that's fair just because sam waterson was on the screen there I just saw him uh, 10 years prior to this in another eight, another uh, virus film called Warning Sign. Mm. So I was like, oh, it's nice to see him again. I think this is still before his Law & Order days. So he was still kind of a fun kind of actor at this point. What did you guys think of him? I, he was one of the highlights, I thought, during the court scenes. Mm. Just his face of like, I have no idea how to feel about her potentially winning this thing. Like, I'm kind of scared of her now. <laughs> He was okay. I, I uh, he didn't stand out to me as really good or really bad in it. I mm, he flew under my radar. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I kind of liked him as a straight man, and maybe his connection to just watching so much um, Law and Order it was just kind of like, hey, there's that familiar face of mine. I have never seen Law and Order. I just he just fell into. I don't watch Law and Order yet. I know these things, but. Uh, it just fell into me, and I do like just seeing the familiar faces that I wasn't expecting to pop up, even if they were familiar faces I don't care for, like the aforementioned, what's his name? Uh, the young one, the one with the porn, the porn addiction. Oh, Justin Whalen. I mean, I never liked him ever, just like y'all, but uh, it was just uh, still <laughs> nice to see these unexpected, uh, forgotten faces. Yeah, and he... He used to pop up quite a bit. I mean, I know he had a kind of recurring role in, on Lois and Clark, but I always think of him from Child's Play 3 in particular when I'm not thinking of Dungeons & Dragons. But, yeah, and, and of course, uh, Matthew Lillard had his whole uh, career. Yeah. I never saw Child's Play 3, but... Oh, really? Oh. I was never into that franchise. Matthew Lillard, Lillard had his whole career. See, a lot of familiar faces, especially for a John Waters movie. This one definitely feels like it's more of a memorable cast. 
maybe not memorable for being good, but just we've seen them in places before. Yes. Yes, I agree. That's what I was saying. Yes. Uh, what else do we got here? What do you got, Sean? Um, what are your What are your favorite lines from the movie? Favorite lines? I don't know. There's so many just really funny moments. Like, I even love um, when the cops first show up and she's like, oh, you can't have your gum in here and there's no gum in this house. And they give her the picture and it's, what did it say? I think it said, I'll get you pussy face <laughs> with like a smiley face next to it. <laughs> Just the the music, it's like a big sting. <laughs> it's made me laugh, and I also like when the the what's his name? I just said it, uh, the Law and Order guy, Sam Waterston. It's like, oh, don't stay up reading too late. And she's got like her bird book, and then we cut to it, and it's just pictures of serial killers. She's <laughs> so crazy. She she's really fun. I um, I was kind of like, oh, Kathleen Turner. Like I haven't seen her anything in so many years. Maybe I'll go back to something that I used to love her in when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. The Romancing the Stone and the Jewel of the Nile. Yeah. And I started watching The Romancing the Stone. I, I fell asleep halfway through. I didn't even I couldn't even get through it. Oh, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, I loved it as a kid, but I was just like, uh like oh it's okay. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say are you a big fan? I mean maybe maybe I was maybe if I watched all the way through I would have liked it more, but it felt pretty standard, kind of bland eighties romantic comedy. But <laughs> No, it was just, I remember the moment at the time when it was so big, and it was just one of those must-see big-time movies of the early, early mid-80s. Everyone agreed on was good, whether it was good or not. And it was obviously in the whole, uh, cashing in on the whole uh, um, Indiana Jones. Yeah, it had the, the, the stereotypical really good like pop soundtrack that went, around, yeah. went along with the movie. The big music videos that were movie tie-ins. Um, but then, yes, I also never saw it again for decades, and I think I randomly watched it on Hulu like two years ago for the first time in all that time. And I understand, yeah, it was like, okay, this isn't as amazing as I thought it was. It's fine, you know, but it, but it was something else, obviously, in the 80s. Yeah, my mom loved them. She had them both on VHS, and I remember it was the first time watching a movie where I distinctly remember feeling like hey this feels like it's ripping something else off yeah (laughs) yeah they had those two movies and they had king solomon's minds yes which is the first thing me and me and uh oh i've never even seen that one i've me and julian did that for the first episode of uh progmag oh yeah that's right i never got to listen to the episode because i never got around to watching that it still exists Uh, Sharon Stone, young Sharon Stone is the vixen. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to her one day. Um, playing the uh, Kathleen uh, Turner part. Um, speaking of, that's part of why I thought I was freaking in love with Kathleen Turner in the 80s was because of that movie. I almost forgot. I was going to say that in this conversation. That I had this huge, oh. massive crush on her in the, in the 80s. And it started with that movie. And it probably culminated with her being the voice of Jessica Rabbit. Oh, it's funny that you didn't see this one. Yeah, what did you think of her then? Because in, in my adult years, having not had much experience with Kathleen Turner in so long, it was kind of like, oh, you know, here's someone that I kind of underestimated, and she's super fun in this movie. I think she kind of grasps the character super well and knows how to play the scenes great. So it's kind of like, oh, maybe she's someone who I've kind of uh, not judged the way I probably should. And that, that's why I went back to Romancing the Stone. It was 
hoping to yeah. get another great role from her. But I think in her prime years of acting, she was perfect. I think so much of it, yeah, of course she was hot back in the day, but it's not just that. I think her voice, just on its own, mm. is a big part of her whole career and her acting and everything. And there's something about her. She comes across as like a throwback. I could in in her in her in her prime, she's like a a version of a very alpha strong woman actress of the golden age who's been reincarnated. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I could see her if she started work, working her career. She's like a leading woman from the 1950s who's been like reincarnated in the 1980s. Yeah, I was going to say I could see her working in the same like period as like Audrey Hepburn, something like that if she started working in the 60s. Yes. Yeah, she could have been really good back then. Instead of getting stuck in the 80s with a lot of the crap yes. they were putting out back then. but Yes. Agreed. Well, let us not forget she, she was in Peggy Sue Got Married, where she goes, time travels back to the 50s. Oh, I've never seen that. And her into her old self, yeah. And then she. Yes. You know, Is that a good movie? It's kind of a follow up yes. to Back to the Future. My mom liked it. I don't remember it very well. That's a cool classic. And is it, who did it? Um, it's someone significant did it. Oh, I'm not sure. That you don't expect. Uh, I'll figure Francis it out. Francis right Ford now. Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola? Is there? I'm, I'm guessing he made that in his weird period where he That's was what I'm saying. Like, it's a significant person who you don't see it coming. When he was making a whole bunch of random crap that no one's ever heard of. Well, it's by Zoetrope. <laughs> Music by John Barry. I'm looking for the director, though. Hey, John Barry. There you go. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's... I got to mention this. This is really random. So I mentioned the the Cassandra Crossing, and it was like this, um, like an Italian version of a 70s disaster movie. But the score is by Jerry Goldsmith, but he was pretending that he was like Ennio Morricone or something. He was like making an Italian score. It was so strange. That sounds cool too. That sounds cool too. Yeah, not a great movie, but it was interesting. But I was so shocked to see that Jerry Goldsmith scored it. But, but and anyway. it is Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's got Barbara Harris in it. Remember her? Uh, oh, it's, it's nominated for three Academy Awards. Best like best actress. It came up. We did this here on the podcast. Best the actress. Best, podcast. best cinematography and best costume design. Okay. Hey, you see that married? You guys covered that on the podcast, you said? No, I think it means it came Not up. Not the movie it itself. Oh. Yeah, oh. it came up because we had things that were nominated against it and uh, yeah, 90s for Coppola. Coppola, weird period. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It's kind of like how Wes Craven directed Sound of... Not Sound of Music. What the fuck was that name? That movie with... Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Meryl Streep is the violin teacher. You know what I'm talking about? Sounds from the Heart or something? Yes, I don't remember what it's called, but I know the movie. Oof. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> so, going back to my question, favorite parts, least favorite parts. My One of my favorite parts has to be the obscene phone calls. And it's all that split screen seeing um, Mink Stoll overact and Kathleen Turner overact, but do it just so well. Like, she knows exactly what she's doing. And then later on, when they're talking about the phone calls with the police, uh, what is it? What does Mink Stoll say? I'm so sorry, officer. I'm a divorced woman. And they're like, well, would it make it easier if you said it to a female cop? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This woman sits down. It's okay, ma'am. You can say what you want. I'm here. And she goes, Pussy Willows! She said Pussy Willows! 
you know, Mink Doll's fun. I love seeing when she's just sitting by the phone, scared, and but she's still waiting for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the most exciting part of her day. <laughs> yeah, Mink Doll is great in this. There's there's one scene, one little tiny uh, line that Kathleen Turner has, and that's when after she kills the teacher by running him over with her car, there's the stone the stoner who's being interviewed <laughs> by the police on TV. And she's like, yeah, it's just like a blue car. And <laughs> Kathleen Turner says, oh, look at her hair. <laughs> and in the commentary, Jen Waters says it's because, you know, they'd be watching the news and there'd be like a coal mine accident. And, you know, 30 men were killed. And his mom would say something like, oh, look at her hair. Like, you know, completely disrespectful and like irrelevant. Just, you know, oh, man. I do like when we see the, uh, the stoner on the news, too. And she just, like, completely delegitimized herself. Yeah. Like she's, like, almost, like, incoherent. She's like, total puke time, man. Like, oh. And then Kathleen Turner's like, oh, just turn it off. She's, like, grotesque. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, no. But my favorite, I think my favorite part of the movie overall is uh, the when we first hear Daybreak when Kathleen Turner is doing her uh, recycling. Oh, yes. And then she looks out the window and sees that Miss Ackerman's just dumping her, like, shit in the bin. And immediately she's like, okay, I have to kill this bitch. Like, she's she's not recycling properly. And she goes and have her, has her conversation with the, the garbage men. <laughs> it's like this completely absurd conversation. They're like, somebody should kill her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's something about that scene, again. Yeah, I, I don't jive with most comedies, but just like completely absurd comedies for whatever reason I could just really get into. See this, I mentioned how this, my reflection on this movie is like my relation with Hocus Pocus and now listening to the conversation more as well. Listen, you guys, this reminds me of also if I was like invited to a podcast where like, we're going to talk about like the Rocky horror picture show and like Hmm. the other two people I'm with have been to like five fan screenings and I've just never partaken, you know, in the actual experience that's how I feel in this conversation. Like, you know, it's like, it's that's because I feel like you guys are like talking about how much you love Rocky Horror Picture Show. And remember the part where, oh, yeah. And then, and like, yeah. Sounds like the uh, Pink Flamingos <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, it is, it is, it is similar. And I was also thinking, too, because there was something I said, I think, when we did either Flamingos or, or Multiple Maniacs. I can't remember which one, but I had said that. On one of those movies, I actually found like a lot of the humor really funny, um, and the wordplay I was entertained by. But then I didn't like the execution and some of like the really crude like editing and production values were like taking me out of. And I had said, you know, I wish we could have like his script, but like a competent like film crew could like produce it, and then maybe I'd enjoy it more. So you would think this would be that, and you guys might have even mentioned that at the time. That maybe when I see a more conventional Waters movie, it'll it'll mm-hmm. work. It, so I feel like on paper this should work even more for me, but it doesn't for some reason. Maybe I was just in the wrong mood today uh, when I watched the movie. I don't know because I I see what's funny in what you guys are saying in your reflections, your reactions. It's just I don't know. Maybe I was in the wrong state of mind today. Well, let me keep adding to the uh, the funny things here. Okay, because I mentioned the garbage men. I also love when we see the garbage men after the whole town realizes that she's the killer and they're like the only ones who are still friendly with her. And (laughs) when the cops try to get her in church, they punch the cop out 
for whatever reason, that just had me laughing. I was like, oh, these garbage men, these uh, salted earth type of guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or um, I love when uh, it's when uh, Matthew Lillard just floats to her like, oh, you know, Scotty thinks you're a killer. She's like, oh, oh, really? And she's like, oh, I'll be right back. Just hops in her car to go murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then on the way, she gets distracted by the Sterners, and I don't—I didn't remember why she got distracted by them. Did she just peek in their window and? and oh she, yeah, they're—they're they're eating birds. Uh, she thinks. Right. Um, you know, I would really could have done without Scotty. Everything with Scotty in it was just—I mm-hmm. mean, I'm not just talking about the horrible masturbation scene because. Oof. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, when you're masturbating alone in your room, you don't cover yourself up with a blanket. And also, who watches that? Who watches that? Who gets off on that? I mean, maybe maybe I shouldn't it's, insult. You mean who was watching? Yeah, that's that's not the kind of thing I'd be... Uh... Now, the only justification I can have for that is going back <laughs> again to the old days when when it came to whack material, it was any port in a storm in the old days when... When porn, I know I get it. He probably rented or bought that, so that's like a more fetish sized. But I'm just saying, I I remember the stuff of before I had choices and things. Again, any port in a storm, whether it's the J.C. Penny circular, monthly circular, or whatever it was, um, yeah. anything. Skinamax. Shoot, yeah. When I when I got Skinamax, like, what are you talking about? That's so premium. Like <laughs> I didn't have access to that. <laughs> that would have been amazing. That would have been such an upgrade. It wasn't even Skinamax for me. It was like the softcore stuff at like uh, midnight or 1 a.m. on like Showcase, that kind of crap. I don't even know if Showcase is a... I think that's only a Canadian company. Again. I don't know that. Caleb, do you understand the concept of when people my age make the joke about how we would put the... We would put the show... I mean, we'd, we'd, turn, we'd tune the television to those um, pay-per-view channels and they would be like all squiggled out and distorted because you didn't have access to them. But... For a fleeting three seconds, once every three minutes, you could get picture, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then it would go away, and we would just sit there and watch the snowstorm, and just and but you don't know where the three seconds is going to be. It could just be a regular dialogue scene, and you could hear all the audio that would play fine. So you would hear the sex scenes, and you would hear the dialogue, and we would you just tune in for that three seconds that would randomly happen every three minutes. Do you understand the concept? Like the desperation, I mean. No, I definitely don't get that desperation. I. (laughs) That's a real thing. I literally, we literally, I literally sat with friends watching those stations we didn't have access to, and we'd have it on for like an hour, just looking for those. It's like watching telesnaps. It's like watching a Skinaflix movie through telesnap version, except you only get to see the telesnap for three seconds. Yeah. And with friends, too. Boy, oh boy. Yes, with friends. I mean, we weren't masturbating together, but this is what the Spank Bank is. You log it in, and then you check it out later when you're on your own time. Well, speaking of the Spank Bank, <laughs> I definitely didn't enjoy the Camel Toes uh, sequence. <laughs> that's when I feel like the movie starts Wait, to... Wait, refresh my memory. I don't remember the Camel Toes sequence. Yeah, that's when I feel like the movie starts to lose its track once yeah. we get to the Camel Toes concert. The scene where, where Scotty dies, where she lights him on fire. Oh, they're the Camel Toes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it says it on like, their drum set, and we see their uh, yeah, very clearly fake Camel Toes. But I miss the Camel Toes. 
That's what the, that was the band name, and of course they had camel toes. Yeah. But I love what's after Scotty's dead and like his burning corpse is laying there. One of them takes a drink of vodka or whatever, and then spits it out of the corpse. <laughs> it causes that a was burst funny. Of flames and people are people are clapping. That was funny. Yeah, I don't know. But I could have gone without. I could have done without that whole thing. I liked it. Yeah, it just. I feel like the vibe of the the movie changed at that point. It almost started to feel like natural born killers in some weird way to me. Oh my god, mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Like but... once they're locked up, and for whatever reason, I just kept thinking of it during that whole section of the movie with the trial. And yeah, wait, why did I like that part though? I like that part, the band part, and because it was punk music or whatever. Um, and it made me think back to what I always think about, which is this movie came out in '94. It's just a scant twenty years after like Plink Flamingos and all that stuff and in other words for the people who worked on this who had any connection to water's older works it's just been 20 years like the car the red chevy malibu the convertible um or i'm sorry pontiac it's a pontiac um the pontiac gto i guess it is uh it looks you know it's a classic car it was only 20 years old it was you know it's not that crazy because again, we're barely in 2022, 2002. I know it was a while ago, but it wasn't that long ago. And so, it the fact that it was punk music made me think, wow, how the 70s were not that far removed from even the time this movie came out. That's all. Yeah, that is weird to think. Yeah, what else do we got here, um... Eric? What were your favorite scenes, and if any? Well, I don't. I, I have to watch it again because. Again, there was stuff that I thought was funny. I think I was just in the wrong headspace. Because um, I agree, you know, you were, when you brought up the, the vodka uh, and she spit it out. Okay, that was that was kind of funny. And, and I'm sure there's other things I, I thought of or that I reacted to in the moment. Um, but I'd have to see it again. Because things weren't registering really like uh, leaving an imprint uh, in me. I can think of another scene that is not funny, and that's the part where they're having sex, and Matthew Lillard and Ricky Lake are like all grossed out. Um, I, I, yeah, we've all been there. Yeesh. Yeah, that I was, was like put on some music, put on a movie or anything. Don't just uh, stand in the hall and listen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember one time I was trapped. I was in bed and it woke me up, and I had to sit there and listen. Oh, I have way too many stories of that in in my life. Um, but I have one that tops most people's, uh, uh, briefly. <laughs> the reason why it tops most people's experiences with that is because it was in the army. Um, I had a roommate. Um, we have a, like a single room. We have army style bunk beds, you know, you know, and, uh, oh boy. he had his girlfriend of, of the moment. He like snuck her in that weekend and I was literally lying on the bottom bunk while they were the two of them were on the top bunk. <laughs> I swear, people. Why do people think I'm making it up? It's a fucking true story. Hey, I don't think you're making it up. <laughs> it's a true story. I just think that's. Uh, I think that's slightly uh, more palatable than uh, parents. But... I'm telling you though, but when you're on the bottom bunk, it's like going to one of those 4D movie experiences or D box or whatever. Because you don't just get the sound and everything. I literally am feeling the motion of the bed in sync. So that's <laughs> it's the truest experience of, 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 yeah, vicariously living through your roommate. 
its own unique take on group sex. There you go. There you go. It's safe group sex. <laughs> I guess not consensual, so. <laughs> oh, well, I, I could have gotten up and gone somewhere. I didn't really have anywhere else to go except my car, but technically I didn't have to stay there. Would that have been more awkward, though, to get up during that? I have no idea. <laughs> I just fucking did it. I just said fuck it and just did it. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> so anyway. I do agree, though. That the second thing was uh, not particularly funny. It was almost it was played a little bit too over the top. I thought with their uh, emotions of it. <laughs> yeah. Kinda. But you made me think of something else uh, by bringing that up. That I was sort of wondering, even though I probably shouldn't even wonder because who cares? But I'm trying to figure out the movie and the character Kathleen Turner as the movie progresses, and I was trying to think like, and maybe I missed something. I don't know. So was she always this way? Or was she always a quote-unquote regular suburban mom and then she snapped? Or, or like, was this always her? Just no one ever really knew about it? Um, uh, what, and then at first I was trying to figure out, is she conscious of herself when she's getting... Like, I didn't know if she was slipping into an alternate personality and she didn't know what the other self was doing. Or, again, this is just her, who she was always... And it's just business as usual. I don't know. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. I was wrestling with well, those questions. Oh. That's what... In my opinion. Oh, you No, go ahead, Caleb. I was going to say that the film's too absurdist to ever exist outside of the bounds of the movie. So <laughs> there was no. That's why I was like, am I, am I dumb for even thinking about this? Well, I don't want to say yeah, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but you know uh it's just we don't need a you know 10 minute scene like at the end of psycho with a psychiatrist explaining mm-hmm. to the Sutton family what's wrong with their mother you know that... oh but sean eric likes that scene <laughs> he's one of the only people i've ever met i do like, like that scene <laughs> oh my I do uh, like that scene. I mean, I get it. It's necessary for the 1960 uh, audience, but it's been done so many times already. It grounds it in some kind of realism. Uh, oh, I'm not saying you have to have that scene in this movie. I'm just saying I like it in the original Psycho. Um, but still, I, I like when there's, I don't know, some way to ground the psychosis, even if it's a metaphor. I like if there's some way to ground it in, in something real. Yeah, but again, this is like complete comedy. It's a movie that, like, all the characters are a little bit too absurd to exist in real reality. So it's all just kind of a joke. <laughs> I mean, they even say at the end, there's a credit on there. It says Beverly Sutphin did not participate in the making of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like Edward Scissorhands again. It's like what world does this exist in? Nobody knows. It's some. It's a, It's its own universe. But when Edward Scissorhands, the character, freaks out, like you understand it. Like you like you're like, oh yeah, he's got he's got like abandonment issues and daddy issues, and he's unfinished. And like so, you can like it makes sense even in this absurd world that makes no sense. Yeah. Like I'm just saying, I like a backbone of that. Something I can like. That grounds it or make, makes it make sense even in this made up universe yeah I'm not sure if there's much grounding to it but but who knows maybe it was just her because clearly we see that she like had like a signed um, I don't know like a bodybuilding shot of like a serial killer so she'd been doing this for years maybe it was just building up okay to... yeah so so okay I know who that was uh, that was Richard Speck 
And um, I think the, the the voice recorder that's in there uh, that, that Sam Watterson plays, I think that's supposed to be an audio recording. Is it Richard Speck or Ted Bundy? But Richard Speck yeah, Bundy. Was, was from the Chicago area. And he went in and he, I think there was a nurse's dormitory. And he went in there. He tied them all up. I don't know how. And he raped and killed them all one at a time. Except for one nurse that got away. She hid underneath a, uh, underneath a couch and heard all of her colleagues get raped and killed. Jesus. So she was the one that you know pointed the finger at him. She was able to identify him. Richard Speck, in real life, he was not a bodybuilder. Uh, he was actually a little scrawny guy. And in his old age, in the 90s, around the time that this movie came out, he identified as transgender, and he had taken hormones so he could grow up, grow breasts. So he was this old guy that had these humongous breasts, like meatloaf, in in uh, in Fight Club. Okay, and video had leaked of him, you know, sitting around in prison with these humongous breasts, and you know, his quote unquote boyfriend playing with him, and it was kind of a scandal because, like, how did Richard Speck manage to get these breasts? Uh, you know. Uh, he died shortly after that, and then nobody gave a shit. But that's who Richard Speck is. Uh, somebody uh, photoshopped or cut and pasted his head on some bodybuilder's body. That's not what he really looked like. Uh, so, yeah, there's a yeah, true crime. I'm probably serial killers know all about it. Yeah, he was a he was a mine hunter, wasn't he? Or portrayed? Yes, he was the guy that threw the birdie into the fan. Yeah, he was a real piece of work. Love that show. I haven't finished it, but I love that show. One of those guys that was in that show, uh, the blonde guy, he was actually in The Exorcist. He was the technician who helps Reagan get her a spinal tap. Uh, he was ar- later arrested for murder, and he appears in that show. Well, the guy playing him appears in that show. So, yeah. I collect Franklin Mint. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, overall, I just love this movie as sort of a satire and, you know, white America, suburban Americana. Uh, I think it's great, um, th- that which is a class of people. And I think John Waters and I both agree is a class of people that just you, they deserve to be made fun of. You know, they're so out of touch with reality that <laughs> they have no idea sometimes what the hell's going on. And, you know, that also account, you know, accounts for the people who live around where I live, you know, just, Trust me, come over to my place. We'll spend an afternoon in Panera Bread, and you'll know what I'm talking about. These people don't know what the fuck their life's about. <laughs> but um, no, I know what he's talking about, though. I know what B Cape is like, and and it is very true. Yeah, um, yeah I saw a great Karen video on TikTok uh, uh, earlier today, and it, I guess, yeah, when I think about it, the, it was actually a man. Even though I said Karen, it was a man, and he, and he could have been a character in this movie. Um, it fits. Yeah. And that's, and I, I'm glad you brought that up though, because that is the way to think about the movie. And that is what makes it worthwhile to check out now. And I wish I had been thinking about that as I was watching it. It probably would have got me more engaged with the material if I was relating it to something in the real world like that. Yeah. And, and John Waters also loves referencing other movies. Um, of mm. course, I mentioned Texas Chainsaw. Uh, if you look at the uh, uh, um, Matthew Lillard's room, you'll see all over the place. They actually watch uh, the movie that they watch is Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Feast, mm. a movie I have never seen. And Joe Bob Briggs did it on the last drive in on Shudder. And I turned it off and I went back a couple of weeks later and it was gone. They took it off of Shudder. Oh. Uh, I've always been curious about that movie, but, but uh, it's not yeah. great. 
Herschel Gordon Lewis in general is not great. Yeah, I kind of figured that. I mean, it's he's not making you know great plots that are going to be Academy Award nominated. And I knew it was just a movie just for the sake of having blood all over the place. But yeah, hmm. it's it's kind of fun just as an artifact. By the way, the name of the band was. Uh... Go ahead. <laughs> well, the name of the band was Camel Lips, which I know. Oh. It invokes the same idea, but it's still significantly it puts a different image in my head because you know, and camel lips work. It's just you know, camel lips are not the exact same as camel toes. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you know, there's camel lips and moose knuckles. Moose knuckle applies to men, right? Usually, your algebra teacher. I don't, I've never heard of those. Your algebra teacher, when he would be making a, and he put his one leg up on a desk or on a chair, and he was talking. It's like, dude, <laughs> you can see your junk oh. through the polyester pants. Or he's got his pants pulled up past his belly button. And- I know what that is. I didn't. I never heard that term before. He's got his shirt tucked in too. No, but what I think is hilarious <laughs> is I never saw it when I was a kid. But when you go back and watch stuff from the eighties, mm-hmm. like Magnum PI, and certain other things, and it literally looks like there's a banana in the man's jeans, <laughs> like literally. It's so many episodes of Magnum PI, Labyrinth, um, and other things from. The- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never saw that stuff through my childhood eyes, even though it was right there, front and center. Well, usually to the right. I can't help but notice it, but... Oh, I will say I do like, with the aesthetic of the movie, I, I can't remember what all the opening um, disclaimer was, but something about how like this really happened, you know, but some names have been changed. That's kind of of a fun goof, I think. And then, um, and again, especially playing into that idea of this is really making fun of uh, middle white class America or WASP or something. That makes it more funny to say that this this represents true events. Yeah. But the names have been changed. And I do like how it's done, but almost like it's a documentary, how it's like, and then this was at this Mm -hmm. time. This is on this date. But yeah, actually, none of that shit really matters. But just the fact that it's there, I think is kind of funny. Yeah. And then if if you think about the, uh, the, the trial sequence, with uh, instead of Suzanne Summers, it's uh, Kathleen Turner there, showing up for the trial, mm-hmm. kind of preparing for a role. Yeah, it. it I, I also think that the whole like marking out the time thing doesn't really like it doesn't feel like it adds much. But if you really put it in the context that this is supposed to be based on a true story, it kind of it works more. But and I'm glad you brought up Suzanne Summers because I almost forgot. God damn, she was still hot. God, I always thought she was hot, man. <laughs> From back in the day, and it's, it sucks that nowadays she has all this botched um, uh, uh, cosmetic surgery and stuff. Oh, no. But uh, man, she was still, well, that's been going on for years. Uh, I mean, that she had lawsuits and all kinds of things. But anyway, but she was, God, still, still glowing. God, was she still glowing in 94. And this is right before she got big on her sitcom, but uh, her second sitcom. But but God, she was she was something special from the seventies. Okay, all right. Do we have much more? I'm I'm pretty drunk. Um, I just got to the part in the movie when she wins, and the whole family like turns around. They're like, "What do we do?" I mean, sh- she won, and there's that uh, reporter guy who's I guess dating Ricky Lake at this point. Mm. They're like, "Just don't get on our bad side." Just. Uh... <laughs> so even though I didn't enjoy the court scenes, I thought that moment was pretty funny. But. It's absurd. It's an absurdist movie, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I, for me, it's like a cult movie, you know, like Clue or Murder by Death, you know, along those lines. Uh, it's a go-to movie. Like, I like that movie with Emma Watson, something about the wallflowers and Ezra, whatever his name is. And uh, in that movie, like, they go to, like, a modern-day showing, and it, it looks like a lot of fun, I, I will say. But something else about Serial Mom and me. Because throughout this whole conversation, like I feel like I'm warring with myself over this movie. Because um, I feel like I'm contradicting myself in my thoughts and, and what I'm saying. And then when you guys point out particular parts of absurdist humor in this movie and why it's funny. And like, you know, it's essentially it's from the mind of John Waters. I'm talking about the the humor and, and how he's making fun of things in regular life. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that you guys mentioned and a lot of things you guys didn't mention that he's kind of spoofing uh, and 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 it's weird because um, I hate bringing up his name now because it's getting cliche but when I listen to the Bo Burnham stuff and his style of comedy I'm like he's like a he's like a young John Waters he's like I mean how John Waters was when he was young you, you know he was like a young upstart who was speaking against the man and tradition and pointing out all the hypocrisy and things that don't make sense so how come i can listen to that stuff and like listen to it over and over and laugh about it and think oh man he's such a genius so why can't i apply the same thing when i'm watching john waters movies like i should be able to appreciate both because they're so in the same vein that's a great question i think that's a great point and um that does go to the point, okay, if I am watching – did you guys see that movie, Don't Look Up? I intend to, but I know what you're talking about. Okay. I haven't seen it whole time I'm, I'm watching – did you see it, uh, Caleb, on Netflix, Don't Look Up, the with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and um, Leonardo DiCaprio? They discover that meteor that's heading towards the earth. I think we lost Caleb. I think Caleb went for a pee-pee or possibly for another drink. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize that my mic was muted. Oh. I have seen that. Yes. <laughs> so I was watching this movie. I enjoyed that movie immensely. Caleb and I are both uh, fans of uh, Adam McVeigh. Is that his name? Uh, McKay. McKay. And uh, I thought this movie was about the Trump response to the pandemic. And then I go back and I look at some reviews of it. Fuck me. It's about climate control. Mm-hmm. Or climate change, okay? Does that mean that I'm not going to enjoy it as much if I know it's about climate change? I um, don't know. Because uh, by itself, it's a pretty good story. Yeah, and I think I think it's about government just incompetence in general and their just yeah. complete disbelief in science, scientific community. Yeah. So yeah. It, it fits. It fits with both. So, But you can still enjoy it, enjoy it, even though you may not be familiar with the government's traditional outlook on you know science in general for the most part um uh especially certain republicans um but uh <laughs> this movie i mean if you think that middle class white people are funny and the funny things that they do like you know the typical i mean she is like from the 50s stuck in the 90s here you know, and the way she is and everything has to be all perfect. If you find something funny about that, which I have always done because I'm related to these fucking people. <laughs> um, I remember one time I went to our my great aunt's house. There were like 10 or 12 of us there for Christmas Eve dinner. 
and she had to have us eat on the back porch because there was nowhere else to eat. And it was in Chicago, so it wasn't it wasn't an open back porch. Probably used to be, and somebody you know closed it off. And we're sitting there eating, and all we got to drink was water. I mean, Auntie Annie and Uncle Dave they didn't drink alcohol. You know, we weren't expecting an open bar, but right next to the table, underneath some you know underneath something else, are all these cases of Coke. It's like Auntie Annie, break open the Coke. Are you kidding? You know, like people, old people, what, just stuff like that. I find it very funny for that reason. That just, I just love making fun of white people. <laughs> and you know, the only other. I want to see the movie now. The only other thing that I can think of where they do that is stuff like maybe like um, South Park or Family Guy, you know? Which movie, Eric? Oh, the movie, um, up, look, Don't Look Up. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't have make yeah. fun of the same type of people that we're talking about, but it's it's a movie. You oh, know. wait. Well, how do we switch from that? Because to this? it's a it's a movie where if you don't know what it's really pointing at, you may not find it. You you'll still find it interesting. Whereas this, you know, if you if you look at it as a commentary about middle aged you know, uh, white people or middle class white people. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I, I thought you were critiquing some of the main characters and don't look up. Uh, okay, I got lost. No, 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 no. That one's just about more like empty, hell, empty-headed uh, political types, and just regular people trapped in a world of just mindless political morons. But, but anyway, no. But I've been seeing articles pop up in my feed. I haven't clicked on them, but articles saying uh, like conspiracies—not conspiracies, but on on don't look up that that's part of the reason why it's getting such bad reviews um, by critics. Is because the movie itself is poking fun at at the media and other things like that, yeah. and so yeah. and so therefore it's getting like really bad reviews. But it's actually a really good movie, is supposedly what uh, a bunch of articles are saying. Um, whereas they did the opposite with the Matrix, uh, whatever it's called, um, the the new one, which is the critics really like the message. And they're writing really good reviews for a movie that's really shitty. Um, so yeah, they're doing the opposite with Matrix. Yeah, I still haven't seen that. Yeah, I saw some CNN clip where they were complaining about how it was like dividing America. Movies like that, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't think it's movies like this that are dividing America. But but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is that? Do we feel like we've had all we've had to say about Serial Mom? I mean, yeah, I went through all my notes so. I did like the stupid gag with her opening and closing her legs <laughs> in the courtroom. I'll give you that. Yeah, what year did Basic Instinct come out? What, yeah, the ju- I had to check to make sure because I wasn't. I almost thought this did it first for a second. Uh, it was ninety two. Basic 92. Instinct. Ninety <laughs> two. Okay. Yeah, and I just recently watched that for the first time all the way through a couple weeks ago. So it was kind of funny seeing that and then seeing Michael Douglas and uh, Romancing the Stone. Did you like it? Was it kind of good? It was it was good for for what it was. It's kind of like a I don't know. It, it was good for what it was, but So, <laughs> can I ask you guys now what jokes did not work aside from Scotty? Or maybe that's just me. Um No, yeah, Scotty's overdone for sure, but um Yeah, some of the some of the courtroom stuff with just what am I thinking of in particular? I'm a little drunk at this point. Why does one of the reporters have a camera from the 1930s? It's probably John Waters. 
He's just like, I want to. I want to put this as my collector's camera. What the fuck? I just saw that. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, my YouTube uh, signed out here, so I can't watch anymore. But <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I did one line I didn't like. I talked about John Waters always referencing movies, and I think this may be the actor and the way he delivers a line. But he says, "My God, honey, he's worse than the dentist and the marathon man." That means that you know it's assuming that your audience has seen the marathon man i can tell you right now most people have that are still left alive today have not seen the marathon man but if i told you that's the one where where uh uh, uh Lawrence olivier plucks the teeth out of dustin hoffman but tortures him that way then you may know yeah i've never seen that one <laughs> there yeah exactly that's uh i think the joke is okay like for 94 uh it's terrible delivery yeah you're right if, if you do it now in 2020 but uh another oh oh i'm not talking about the delivery i just meant the reference the delivery itself i just did not like it um there's another scene where they're driving to church and they stop at a stop sign and the family next to them sees in the car next to them sees them and they all yeah. scream uh, so dumb so dumb yeah um, uh, <laughs> you like that one eric <laughs> i already mentioned the sex scene um a little bit <laughs> that's fair <laughs> so hey stupid. it's it's humor you know <laughs> what you like you like and what you don't like you don't like <laughs> sometimes dumb jokes like that make me laugh when they're so basic okay all right <laughs> and then i look at myself like why am i laughing like why am i laughing like i don't like fart jokes uh, but it would be like that, like a, a certain fart joke, and I, I find myself laughing, and then I'm like, "Why am I laughing at this?" Hey, ever, ever since we did Annie Hall, I feel like I can't judge because. <laughs> oh fuck! I mean, you were talking about how funny how that movie was, and I was like, I didn't find almost any of it funny except for like one, one or two bits. So, but you know what I mean? You find funny what you find Jeez. funny. I I think this movie is consistently funny for the first like hour and five minutes. It kind of loses its way in this last twenty five minutes, but. I think there's lots of laughs to be had here. I think there's laughs to be had at the courtroom scene, uh, but not when Scotty dies. That whole yeah. concert scene is just, ugh. it's like, why did they, they could have just taken him out of the story altogether. But that whole Annie bit when the, the two kids are trying to like look through the window and she <laughs> I comes with a knife and she's like, nah, this just doesn't quite feel that right. fucking <laughs> pissed me off. Why? That fucking pissed me off that because... Like they picked the one part of the house where they couldn't fucking see in, and and it's like the fucking window is ten feet off the ground, like where they're standing. Oh. Like motherfuckers, could you go to the back door? Could you go like? Cause you look like idiots just standing on the one wall where you have no chance. Well, I'm just saying, what are you doing there? Uh, Come on, are you trying to see? Are you trying to help somebody, or are you just going to stand? They didn't know the, under a window that's ten feet. They tall. didn't know the layout of the house. They didn't know how to get in there. Come on, I understand, but you give up on that side. You got three more sides to investigate, um, and so it was pissing me off. Them jumping, like trying to see what was happening. See, it sounds like maybe you're overthinking this movie a little bit, but which I feel like maybe you were with the other two. Uh, no, no, I get it's not a documentary. I get that. I get that. It's not a documentary. Oh, wow. You know, uh, Eric, I, I question your dedication to John Waters. I really do. Um, what did he do after this? Nothing really good, right? I mean, he kind of petered out after Serial Mom. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe it was Pecker next, and then Cecil B. Demented, and I think there was only three left. I think, what was that last one he did? Um, uh, a Dirty Shame. A Dirty Shame, I think, was the last one he did. Oh, I've never, so. never even heard of that one. 
Yeah, it was a dirty shame, apparently. I've never seen it, but Johnny Knoxville was in it, and I've heard it was terrible. Oh, I hate Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, and as a wrestling fan right now, he's showing up all over the place in WWE, and I'm just like, get him off the screen. He's so obnoxious. Well, he's got a new movie. They, I saw the preview tonight, uh, Jackass Forever. It's just... I just can't stand him. It's like he he damages the... I don't want to see him there, but... <laughs> Not that wrestling has much credibility these days, but <laughs> even still. I've also figured out years, decades later, um, that I think I would I would totally like to date Ricky Lake. Um, yeah, she was cute. She was cute. Maybe we should do a uh, hairspray. Cause I t- <laughs> what else do we have left with Johnny or with, uh, with, with John Waters? I'm almost open to hairspray, but <laughs> it's just I always remember Ricky Lake when all the girls my age were watching her show and... I was just like, and I watched some talk shows in those days, but I, Ricky Lake was not one of them. I just couldn't get into that at the time. So I always had this, this chip on my shoulder, but now that I see her more, I'm like, no, she's like, it's, it sounds like, um, a backhanded compliment, but she's like the everyday girl. She's like the non-traditional yep. looking girl who I'd like to date. Yeah. <laughs> sounds horrible. Yeah. Sounds like you're talking about Tracy, uh, Turnblatt. That was her role of appeal in Hairspray. People were like, oh, she looks like me. Have you ever seen Hairspray, Eric? Do you know anything about it? Or... <laughs> I saw bits of it on free TV back in the day. Sure. Um, but it never fully start to finish. I'll quickly say, uh, whenever we do these John Waters movies, I pick one of the ones I haven't seen yet. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just use this. I'll use this as an excuse to watch some more John Waters. This time I watched Dangerous Living. Have you seen this one, Sean? No. Yeah, this is a filthy one. Uh, Divine doesn't show up. I think he made it right before he made Polyester. And it's just Mink Stall and uh, like Cookie Mueller shows up and Edith Massey. But it is a gross movie. Like it's it's got some funny bits, but it takes place in like this little shanty town of like nasty like homeless people. That that sounds terrible to say, but they're like nasty in the movie. <laughs> 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 These nasty homeless people. Just in the movie, they're nasty. Not not saying anything about real homeless people, but oh, really? Okay. And Edith Massey plays this queen character, and she's like a queen of filth, and she like makes people wear their clothes on backwards, and I she like think I wait. I think I have this on um DVD. Hold on. Yeah, one of the characters wants to get like a sex change, and there's a whole bunch of really grotesque stuff. It it's not. A movie that I would recommend at all. I think it's one of the more unpleasant John Waters movies that I've seen, but I just figured I'd mention it since I watched it. But <laughs> I can't find. I, wait, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Desperate living, desperate living, desperate living. Yeah. Yeah, you said dangerous living. Oops, oops. The the booze is uh, it's speaking for me tonight. Damn it, sir! I can't keep track of this. Okay, <laughs> no. Oh man. There's somebody named Susan Lowe who's a drag king in it. Oh, Marion Vivian Pierce. She's got her old age picture up on IMDb. She did not age well. That's horrible. I shouldn't say that. She's like 70 something years old. Hey, who does? I did hmm. I did like the joke of the uh, man being killed by the uh, the wall unit. That old trope. That somehow still seems fun. Like, I wonder how many people were killed in New York City. Uh, over the years from like falling uh, wall units <laughs> and stuff like that. There was somebody in Chicago that was killed by falling ice one year, I remember. Oof. Yeah, we had that in BC too. 
Yeah, falling off bridges. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. I can imagine. And let's see. And I see John Waters. He did the voice of Ted Buddy in this yep. movie. That was his cameo in, in Serial Mom. He did an episode. He acted in an episode of Twenty One Jump Street. Aforementioned. Um, he did a voice in the cartoon Super Jail. Did you always ever see that on a uh, Adult Swim? No, no. Super disgusting, weird Adult Swim type stuff. But for some reason, I thought that was funny. Hey, humor. There was a, a trans character with moose knuckles in that in that series. Oh, but are we are we towards the final thoughts here? I feel like we're getting away from uh, from Serial Mom here. So yes, I think so. Uh, who wants to go first? Should we flip, flip a coin? I guess we can't with three people. But <laughs> Let's just go in backwards alphabetical order. I'll go first. Um, <laughs> mostly like this movie. There are scenes that I obviously everybody knows I like this movie. Um, I think it's great. I think it's one of John Waters best. Um, I've already said all the reasons that I enjoy it, and I will give it a four out of five. Hmm. Oh, Eric, should we pick the... Uh the uh, version of rating like what we're rating it on oh yeah that's right oh yes yeah, so that will affect me <laughs> yeah i mean we could do it out of uh roasts but that feels a little bit not quite good enough that lamb i'd like to eat that lamb oh was it lamb mm. it was lamb the one that she used to kill the lady with the annie lady yeah murderous lambs how many uh out of that i guess shawnee said four murderous lambs well it kind of ups it a bit. For some reason, that makes me think of Wicker Man. I don't know why. A murderous lamb. But, um. I think of Lamb, A24 film this year. <laughs> or last year. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, earlier, if you check, if you check my Letterboxd account <laughs> earlier today, I gave this a two and a half, um, Roasted Lambs. Yeah. Somehow I knew it was going to be Roasted Lamb. Let me take a look. But, no, it's there. Trust me. I put two and a half. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> what time is that funny? Because <laughs> he obviously <laughs> let me take a look. <laughs> you missed the job. He wasn't really looking. <laughs> oh my god, that was pretty good. Oh great! Now I'm like <laughs> on my face. Um, but I think I was in the wrong state of mind today. I think I was thinking too much about COVID or something. Um, that's the joke because I wasn't thinking about COVID. But uh, oh, oh, you're the next John Waters there. <laughs> Thank you, uh, uh, Sammy Dirt. Um, so I don't know. I don't probably my two and a half is probably not right. I probably will rectify that later in the future. It probably needs to be a three by me. And also, weirdly, um, I feel, I'm, I'm weirdly open to watching more John Waters stuff and not just hairspray but whatever i don't know <laughs> i don't know i feel like i'll just have to keep <laughs> slamming my head against this uh, until it works yeah because wow I'm, I'm looking at john waters credits here he was in that uh ryan murphy uh vehicle feud he played william castle in that oh huh. that's interesting because i think he did didn't he do joan crawford's last film trog he was in uh, william castle i I'm guessing he was in RuPaul's Drag Race in 2015. What? Raise your hand if you're surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I raised my hand, but you guys can't see. Uh, it. The episode he was in was called Divine Inspiration. Oh, oh. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> oh, he's in Law and Order in 2020, 2021. 
as the porn monger man. I remember hearing about that. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> There's a great, great story that Gil- Gilbert Godfrey tells about being on Law and Order or CSI or something, and he's goofing around on set, and the director comes and says, Mr. Godfrey, could you please show some respect? This is about the murder of a child. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> okay, all right. I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. Yeah. Before I give mine, I don't know if there's any other John Waters movies that I'd be. I mean, I do enjoy Female Trouble. I wouldn't mind talking. I do want to see Cry Baby too. Yeah, I remember liking Cry Baby, but. It's been since my childhood since I've seen that one, so I don't really remember it. But for my final thoughts, I mean, I super duper enjoy this movie. I'd give it uh, somewhere between a 3.5 and a 4. The only reason Ooh. I lean towards 3.5 is just because I really do feel like once we get to the con- concert scene, it starts to lose its steam and I just become less interested. But the whole hour, hour and five minutes before that, I think are just fantastic and really consistent laughs all the way through up to that point. So it's it's hard to be like ah there's 25 minutes I didn't enjoy but the whole hour I enjoy a ton like it was like an eight out of ten up to that point and then it just dropped like a six so how do you rate that you know I don't know how to yeah. I don't know how to balance that out but but still one of John Waters best absolutely enjoy it and would highly recommend it to people who like John Waters but apparently not you Eric because th- three of them out of three of them in a row you don't care for him so on paper. I should appreciate him a lot more. I don't know what the deal is. Eric mentioned Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like I love that movie. I it sounds like Eric, you don't enjoy that, but I super enjoy that movie. But I don't like that movie either. Oh really? Oh man. I, well, I've never I've I've seen it in stretches. I've never given it just due. But again, is it the same to watch it in 4K at home versus going to the old picture show and throwing rice at each mm. other? You know, like it's not the same, right? I've never seen it that way. But. I fell asleep. I've seen it at the theater and I fell asleep. Oh, wow. But, you know, it was late. And we were supposed to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre and we were at the wrong theater. So we ended up, you know, <laughs> going to dinner and then coming back and seeing Rocky Horror. And it was late. I fell asleep. And, and I remember in San Antonio, like, they had nonstop showings of that movie for like 25 years. 
at this one theater in San Antonio. And I remember because I'd always look at the movie listings. And, you know, uh, what's playing? Uh, Terminator 3, okay, oh, Independence yeah. Day. And I'd always see a rock and roll Pritchard show, like, on Saturday night at Northwest Theater. And I'm like, why the fuck has that been around my whole life? I never knew what it was. And it, but it was it was consistently always in the movie listings and confusing me. It was a really big deal when it came out in VHS because we rented it. And it was like, okay, we're going to watch this. And I remember being woefully disappointed. Um, so, you know, I vowed I would have to see it in the theater sometime, and I did, and I was tired. <laughs> I had much more fun seeing Clue in the theater with all the little things they did there. <laughs>